What's the message called? Can-do people. C3 Tugra are a can-do people. And we can stand here and shout it from the rooftops that we are exactly that. What are can-do people? They're disciples. Say disciple. And I said to you, when people come here, they want to be saved. We say can-do. When they want to be healed, can-do. Can I prosper in my soul and body? Can-do. Can I serve, love the church, build the church? I've tried it in other churches. Can I, can I do it here? You can if you join with Jesus, if you learn from Jesus. I've tried to serve the church. I've tried to give radically. I've tried to give my tithe. Someone said to me, and they've been going to church for a lot of years, said, I've never given my tithe, to be honest. Haphazardly, I've given it offhandly, uh, you know, when the weather's right, when I feel good. But really, I've never been a tither, a weekly committed tither. But I'm hearing your teaching, and this was three weeks ago. From three weeks ago, they're saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test God in this. You do it, because the Bible says in Malachi, you can test God in it. Test him and see what he can do. Isn't that right, Ali? Test him, man. Ali is a, a radical giver. He loves to give. He's a principled guy, and he is already rocking in so many areas of, he, of his life. Can we believe for a miracle for your body? What do we say? Can do. We're a can do people. So we are a can do people. C3 Church, and especially Pastor Phil Pringle, would um, talk about this uh, a lot, and he talks about discipleship. Discipleship is not something we talk about in the Western world because it's, I guess, some of the implications, uh, some of the overtones and undertones and whatever tones definitely says you've got to obey God. Well, I didn't sign up this to be a slave. No, we're not saying you to be a slave. We're saying you just to be obedient. Say obedient. You've got to be obedient to God. And one of the key things that the preacher is meant to do is stir up your spirit. And when your spirit is stirred, I want to give a miracle offering, man. I want to give a thousand, two thousand. I want to give ten thousand. And Andy does that so well, doesn't he? Stirs your spirit to believe for a miracle, to believe for salvation, to believe for your future, for your, for your destiny. When your spirit is stirred, you're supposed to take that to the soul. Watch your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. So you take it to the mind. Is it sensible? Is it God's will? Emotions, will, your will is your deciding. Your will, once you say, I will, I'm a can-do person, once you engage the stirring in your spirit, your hand goes into your wallet, you fill out the check, or you go and witness to your friend, or you turn up at church. Whatever is God wanting you to do as obedience to Him, and that is three keys there. Stirred in your spirit. There's a check in your soul. There's, there's a, there's the, you know, is it in the Bible? Is it true? Is this, is this right what they're saying? Yes, it's in the Bible. Tick. Now the third one, without, James says, without deeds, your faith is dead. Unless you enact, unless you engage, unless you do that which is according to your conviction of your spirit and your made up mind in your soul, Unless you do that, haven't got there yet, but unless you do that, you, you live this, we call it, have to say it, flaky life. A lot of people think that flaky people are flaky people that give prophecies and they, they, you know, they're not really grounded. They've got all this revelation, but it's not grounded in a fruitful life. It's not grounded in 
uh, pragmatic life. Uh, it's not grounded. Their family's out of order. Everything's out of order, but they're just seemingly really in touch with God. That's called flakiness. But I think flakiness can be people who are just so passive. They hear God. They say they're with God. They love God. But really, they're, they're not really not following through with the conviction of their spirit. You keep doing that, your heart gets, um, your heart gets what, seared, and you grieve the Holy Ghost, you grieve God, you shut down the effectiveness of the Word of God. Is this helping someone? You keep doing it, and then you don't even want to come to church because you're not exchanging. Church is about exchanging. When you come, you exchange your selfishness for God's obedience. Oh, I was feeling this. I wanted to do that. Uh, I had some other uh, plan, but God says, no, you know, you got, you got to follow me. He's Lord. So let's look at this. Can do people in the Bible. Let's, let's look at this. Basically, disciples are Christians who open up every area of their life to the influence of God's word. Every area. The English philosopher Bertrand Russell once said, I can hear, I can hear what you're saying because I can't hear what you're saying because of who you are. In other words, there is a big difference between what people say they believe and the manner in which they live. And I guess this could be the biggest problem in the church today is this, I guess, I'm, but wow, we're seeing some radical stuff in youth, especially the youth and all the generations. They're saying, you know, they're giving their life to Jesus, but they're giving their whole life. They're giving their whole life. They're giving their career. They're giving their relationships. They're giving their home life, their playtime, they're giving everything to Jesus. That, that's, that's, what, that's what it's about. Now, discipleship has to do with faith being worked out in our lives. The Apostle James says that without faith, the works is dead. You've got to work this stuff out, guys. You've got to work the faith through your life. You've got to work it through your life. All right? Discipleship, so these are some stirring statements I want to just bless you with. Discipleship has to do with the cost of faith. There's a cost of joining with the church. This ain't a free ride. This ain't a free ride. Uh, we're supposed to come into the life of the church and we're supposed to join with that family and help carry the burden of all that God wants to do through the church. Is that right? So it's really this old mindset that we come to church, we spectate, we, we get fed, and we walk out, and, and, and that's good, and that pleases God. That, that's just not good at all. That, that, that's um, faulty thinking there. So discipleship has to do with the cost of faith. There's a cost of building a church, running a church. There's teams, there's leaders, there's giving, there's sacrificial stuff that we do. But Jesus says, if you're yoked with me, it's easy. My burden is light too. And then you realize, man, we can do so much good. We can do so much. I mean, the reports are continually coming in of what this church does. It's fantastic. So it's a complete surrender. Jesus said that we can only be his disciples if we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him, Luke 9.23. I haven't got time for the scriptures, guys. You're going to have to look them up. Disciples know that they are called to live out their faith within the context of their daily life. Now, this is what the Spirit-filled life is about. We go into life, into all, all your life, riding on the train, turning up at work, coming back on the train, coming back home, coming to church, wherever you are, whatever you do, it's about Jesus. 
work in his life out through you. So Jesus said that his disciples were sent out into the world to demonstrate the dynamic reality of the new life in Christ. John 17, verse 13 to 19. We'll tell you about that. Who likes living for Jesus during the week? You know, you can get some men. It's, 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 it's wild. Disciples know that the great commission of Christ is to make disciples. So, and we know the great commission, Matthew, uh, 28, verse 16. They have been given power and authority. Uh, we'll tease that out in a moment, but you've been given power and authority to make a difference. The authority that is in Christ, all authority when he defeated the enemy, the powers of darkness, the devil and Satan and and he took the keys of hell and death. He, he said, all authority has been given unto me. And my top plan is to build the church. And I'm going to give my church the authority. Now, you can do a lot of stuff with that authority. You can raise a business. You can be entrepreneurial. You can be good at sports. But you can do life in the sense of being a witness for him. Is that right? Above all, discipleship has to do with the confidence and boldness that came on me back in the early 90s when I was a bit shy uh, and didn't realize that, that God had called me and mandated me to be the man of God. I was a little bit backward in coming forward. I was shy. You may be shy right now, and, you know, but if you would understand this, that you've been called even way back, even before you're in your mother's womb, purpose to be on this planet, to be a mover and shaker, to be consequential. You are important. What we pray this Tuesday night will be important stuff. You are important to make those important things happen. Some people don't turn up to prayer meetings because they think their words are not important. If only we had Tom Cruise here. His words are important. You kidding? His words have no effect. Your words as a born-again believer are powerful are powerful to affect even the nations. I, I, I stammer. I don't think I've only know one scripture. I've only been saved one week. You are saved. You have authority to go before the throne of grace and conduct spiritual warfare. That means thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Bring it on your friends. Bring it on every situation and circumstance. That's what we do on Tuesday night. You have that authority. I haven't been to Bible college like Garth and Luke and Andrew and Jilly. It's got nothing to do with it. When you got saved, you got deputized, authorized. Is that great? Praise God. Boldness and confidence. Confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in the power of God and in the faith, the love, the joy. Yeah, disciples know that they are called, called to demonstrate the life and power of the Son of God in their daily lives. This is the greatest challenge for the church today. Who is a can-do person? And I like to think that disciples are can-do people. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Someone who has a desire and an openness to learn from Him and follow His example in the power of the Holy Spirit. So basically a can-do person is just not someone just saying yes to everything because they have a sense of duty. That they honestly believe, well, if you think I can, Josh, can you do this? Josh says, well, not in my own strength, Pastor Phil, maybe not. But if you think I can, I'll do it. I'll clean the toilets. I'll stand at the door. I'll 
print the newsletter, I'll play bass. When we said to Garth, man, we're short on drummers. Uh, really see you playing the drums. Never played drums in his life. But he's a can-do guy. And because Pastor Phil or Julie said to him, Garth, we'll really see you, man. You just got that look about you. You just got the drummer's look. And Garth says, he looks heavenward. Looks at Julie, looks heavenward. Looks at Julie. He says, I'm a can-do guy. I think I can. I think I can do it. Learns the drums. You know, it's not magic wand stuff, Harry Potter, you know. You know, this is this is real deal stuff. Okay, I've got to get some towel, I've got to get some skill here. Get the metronome happening. Do those ones for a couple of hours, two, three hours, couple of months. Oh, hang on. <laughs> He's a can-do guy. Disciple is used 269 times in the Gospels and Acts. 269, 269 times the can-do word is used. All these can-do guys and women. 269 times. The Greek word, this is a little teaching lesson, the Greek word for disciple is mathetesis, which means one who learns instruction from another. Disciple, did you learn any instruction from someone else to play those drums? You did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, you did, you did. The disciple does not only hear the words of his master, he also makes a commitment to obey his master. Were you obeying the drum teacher? Were you obeying him but obeying Jesus? Yeah. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. This means that he follows Jesus, that he makes his words, his call, his commission, the priority of his life, no matter what the cost. Did it cost you, Garth, to do drum lessons? Did it cost you to buy a drum kit? Did it cost you? Did it cost you or your mum? Both. Yeah, I thought so. It cost your mum because that one's you, I know. That's you and that's a great drum kit. Disciples desire and seek the restoration. This is another thing I see about disciples. Again, this word's not usually used a lot because it implies, and people are very vague about what it, in fact it means, but Disciples means can-do people, and I find this with disciples. Can-do people believe that Wyom can be saved, that Tuggerit can be saved, that the youth group can grow, that we can cancel debt. Disciples are can-do people because they're yoked with Jesus. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. Do you know what I'm saying? So I find that can-do people can believe for the church to be the church. They can believe that we can see miracles, that people can be saved, that we can build a consequential church. Can-do people. You can-do you can people? Put up your hand if, you're can, if you really think you're a can-do person. Yeah, so, I'd see that hand go up. Sister, you are radical. I love you. You only turn up every now and then. But are you Greg's mum? You are radical. The can-do hand went up like that. Not, don't know. See, it's boldness and confidence in our God that lets that hand go up. Are you a can-do person this morning? Candice is. She's a candy, can-do, Candice type of woman, isn't she? <laughs> Let's look at seven characteristics <laughs> quickly. Now I'm going to really crunch things. These following are characteristics that God works out in the life of a disciple, a can-do person who is determined to follow Jesus. First one is this, obedience to the Word of God. They read it, they love it, they take it in, they follow it, they honor it, they walk it out. It's the Word. Who's got a Bible in the house? 
He's bought a Bible finally and reads it and he's got two Bibles. I just bought a Bible program with six versions on it because the one I've been using is about 10 years old. And thank you, thank you, Pauline, for buying me that program. The Bible is what can-do disciples live their life by. We walk, I'm not going to walk on this, it'll fall apart, but it's our path, we walk through it, we walk on it, it's our foundation, it's our light, our lamp unto salvation. And we take the word in, we're principled, it's got precepts, it's got concepts, but precepts, truths, principles that we take in and we live our life. Our life becomes aligned to the word of God. And because of that, God says, I will prosper you, I will favor you, you will be consequential, you will be able to stand up in this day of darkness. It's fantastic, it's powerful. John 8.31 would say to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are truly my disciples. If you love me, you will obey what I command. 1 John 5.3 says, this is love for God, to obey his commands, to obey his word, and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not burdensome. It's not the law. We don't do it out of a sense of duty, but we just love to align our life. Who likes to align things? People do mechanics, they build up motors and they love to get the tolerances and the bearings and all the design. Men, they spend hours, hours and, and ladies too and other patchwork stuff and I don't know what you ladies do, sewing and knitting and you know, hours and hours getting this in line. We love to get our... Oh, that's right. You hours and hours and hours and party filling and uh, beautifying and I know you do, man. So our responsibility is to open our hearts up and obey. Number two, commitment. Disciple surrenders his life completely to the Lord Jesus and his cause, builds the church, saves souls. If Jesus Christ is truly God and he gave his life for me, then my sacrifice for him can never be too great. Jesus paid a great price for my salvation he has committed himself to me 100%, so I am committed to him. I'm flying through these because I want to finish on time this morning. Number three, a fruit-bearing relationship is the next one. Number three, a fruit-bearing relationship. Man, you're going to stand before Christ and give an account for these wonderful bodies. What did you do with them? Did you just surf endlessly the endless summer? Or, and I love surfing, I'm not having a crack at you guys. I want you to surf because you look so cut. So, and, 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 and man, surfing's great for many reasons. In my six years of being in a boy's home as a, as a, a senior youth worker, uh, for some reason we only ever had one, in six years we only had one juvenile offender out of the surfing culture. But all of these other cultures, oh, miles of them, miles of them. For some reason the surfing culture was such, was such a good culture whereby we wouldn't see those kids. Uh, a fruit-bearing relationship with Jesus. One Bible teacher says this, our union with Christ makes possible a life through which others can be saved. When a tree is so full of sap, now be filled right now. Say, be filled. Say, fill me, Lord. When a tree is so full of sap that it can no longer hold it, the result is fruit. So you've got to get filled, guys. And you know what? Not only will you get the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the long-suffering, but you get souls. 
in people's life, you will get souls. People will get saved through you because they partake of your fruit. Man, what are you growing there, buddy? I can see some love, some faithfulness. I go, man, just get, you know, it's like Fleming Markets there. Guys, check this guy out. Mangoes and, ah, oh, you know, avocados. Where's that guy? He's got avocados. You know, he's got that real beautiful spirit about him that just, just blesses us. Without the sort of fruit bearing in our lives, kingdom of God will not be expanded. Yet four, I gotta go through. Unconditional love for others. A radical love. A disciple is one who, a can-do Christian, a disciple is one that has unconditional love. Agape love. You just love people. You love them because God loves them first. You don't know what it is, but, but even, let's be, let's be real honest, but this is not all, this is not all pie in the sky stuff, but from a distance you would say you don't like them. But as you enact and engage out of God's obedience, out of obedience to God, as you approach this person, something comes on you, something of the anointing, because you yoke with him, remember? You're not going to love him in your own strength. I'm not going to love Andrew. I would have never let him marry in your own strength. This is who you think you are, buddy. Come on, man. This is my number one daughter, man. But as I got closer to him, it's not a good case because I really did like this guy. I really did love him. Um, as I did like him, <laughs> no one's good enough for Julie. As I got closer to him, just this love for him. Oh, I think it was the love of God, but it was a genuine love too from me. So it's a combination of, of just loving in his strength. Don't you love it? Five, agape love. Wasn't a good, that wasn't a good example. I really did. I didn't need his strength. I did love you all the time. Ian. Fulfilling the Great Commission... Fulfilling the Great Commission. There were some days I needed his strength. I remember I had one hard word with him for about an hour. He, he was going surfing for Jesus on, on some Sundays. We were grooming him for leadership. And, uh, some, and he, was, he was dating my daughter. And I, I had to have a word with him. I said, look, if you're going to be real serious for my daughter, you know, surfing with Jesus on Sunday morning... It's not going to cut it with me, buddy. Uh, just, you know, we negotiated that. He's a good negotiator. We negotiated for about an hour. And uh, he, he was fine in the end. In the end, with God's strength. Five, fulfilling the Great Commission, saving souls, reaching out, loving strangers. Can-do disciples love the Great Commission. They love the idea of saving souls, reaching out, loving strangers, bringing them to light, truth, true north, in Jesus' name. Six, that we're sent out in God's authority. Can-do Christians know, disciples know that we have authority, that we have authority to enact all this great stuff in God. Disciples live and act in the authority of God, not in our own authority. Remember that story about um, the gate of beautiful, the, the, uh, the cripple who was healed, Peter walks by, silver and gold have I none. The guy rises up, he's healed. And they say, Jesus says to him, Jesus says to him, this ain't by our strength, it's in the name of Jesus. Jesus raised him. It's not by our power, not by our authority. It's Jesus, guys. Jesus did, the one you crucified, the one that was walking with us some time ago. It's because of him. And so we've got to be careful not to take the glory to ourselves. Number seven, a disciple knows God. Disciples know God intimately. 
just as Jesus knew his father, knowing God the Father in this way is fundamental to the life of the disciples. I find this, can-do Christians, can-do disciple Christians know God. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that right? And really, bottom line, that's the foundation of our discipleship, knowing God. Many different religions out the world, out there in the world, even to the point where they even lay their life down, fly into buildings, you know, kill themselves, put a bomb on, and they do crazy stuff. Even in the church, even in the church, I mean, people have a sense of duty to do stuff for God. But at the end of the day, can I tell you this? We do it because we're honoring and loving Jesus. It's not so much out of a sense of duty, but we do it because we love the house. We love God. We're intimately acquainted with him. We understand his passion, his burden for the church. And look, to be honest, a lot of us do what we do and give and do what we do and worship all because of him, not because of man. It's all because of knowing him. So I recommend you get to know God, get to know him. Don't be motivated by the flesh or a sense of duty. In fact, uh, in Revelations 2, verse 2, uh, there's a lesson that was being taught the church in Ephesus. And they were good people, man. They were persevering. It says in Revelations chapter 2, they were persevering, enduring hardships, just like we've done for my name's sake. They've not grown weary. But then Jesus says in his word, Revelations 2, 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Guys, let's be careful not to forsake our first love. This is the last little lesson I want to give you, and it's this. In the Old Testament, there is a verb, yada, Y-A-D-A, and it's used in this, in this uh, context to know God. Part of the meaning of yada is getting to know God in an experiential way. Do you like that? So it's just not by your mind, it's in your heart. Everything's about your heart. In the Old and New Testament, it's about your heart towards God. It's about your heart. That's why giving becomes such a powerful, a powerful, effective, um, sacrificial moment in the life of the believer. When you fill out that $1,000, $10,000, we had two, three, $10,000 gifts. Those people are saying to God, Jesus, this is a memorial offering from this day. I'm saying, remember the woman who cracked the, um, the alabaster jar open of oil, the year's worth of perfume? And Jesus said, this story is going to be told forever and a day. Uh, it's going to be even told now, 2,000 years after it happened. It was such a radical offering that people couldn't understand, especially Judas, that said, you kidding? We could have fed someone. We could have built a church. We could have done something with that. And Jesus said, you got no idea. You know, I'm, I'm the son of God. You know, I'm not going to be here long. And this, this moment, this sacrificial offering, this is going to go down in history. And that moment is a moment that can happen in the miracle offering. When people gave, oh, you, your figure might have been 50, $100. But when we gave 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, some people give large amounts because they have large amounts to give. When they say to God, this is my pledge to you, they're saying to God, this is my heart to you. This is my heart to you. And I guess that's what we do as a spirit-filled church. We allow that opportunity for you to go by 
a couple of months just by paying your tithes, paying your tithes. And then somewhere along the line, some guy comes, Andy Kabali, and says, this is the day. A miracle offering is at hand. Oh, gee, yeah, I need to express my deep love, my sincerity to God, to give extravagantly to God. And last week, we saw people just do that. And that's amazing. Guys, our whole can-do attitude, our teams, and I'm nearly done, our teams and who we are as a people of God is on the discipleship. I could read you scripture after scripture after scripture. You cannot do, you cannot live the adventure, you cannot serve God the way that we, that God wants you to serve without this extravagant 100% attitude towards God. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. Lord of anything. He's not Lord of all. He's not Lord at all. Did I say that right then? Good. Then I did.